All hands, this is the captain speaking. Starfleet has confirmed reports that Romulus was destroyed two weeks ago by an ultranova in the adjacent Toba system. The colonies and subjugated worlds that survived are in need of humanitarian aid. Arabella has been assigned to a convoy that will cross the neutral zone in order to provide assistance. We are uncertain of the reception we will receive, but it is likely... It is likely we will be met with resistance from the Romulan people. They won't want to accept charity from the Federation. But the captain says we should be prepared to accept evacuees and deal with confrontations with rogue members of the military. Security teams will need to be ready at a moment's notice. We will begin drills at 0800 to prepare. Sick bay may be inundated with ill and wounded. I don't want my department to be overwhelmed. Many of you were a part of the staff aboard the Tiberius. You were seasoned veterans. I know you are fully capable of handling this situation. Shields up. Red alert. Captain, our shields cannot take much more. Beyond the neutral zone, the Romulan people suffer in chaos. The Hobus Ultranova laid waste to their fractured empire. Stability has crumbled, and infrastructure ravaged. Friend and foe amass in shadows, waiting to pick their bones. Yet the Federation takes nothing but their burdens. These are the voyages of Arabella, the flagship of the Seventh Fleet. Its mission, to defend the helpless, to render aid where needed, to befriend a former enemy, to boldly go where no Starfleet vessel has gone before. Hi, I'm Jen, and I play Captain Severil and Dr. Ryla Drett. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm recording solo. Since I'm all by myself, I thought I'd touch briefly on the story you're about to hear and chat a little bit about a few podcasts I listen to about writing. If you're a member of the RPG, they'll make your work much better. And if you're a casual listener, they may help you out too. They are um, Grammar Girls, Quick and Dirty Tips to Better Writing, and The Secrets Podcast by Michael A. Stackpole. Both of them are excellent, and I've been listening to them for about six months now, and I've gleaned a lot of information from them. So they're probably about ten minutes long. They're pretty short, and they're right to the point. Both of them have very nice voices that are easy to listen to. If you have any desire to improve your writing, I would suggest those podcasts. And the other thing I wanted to do is briefly discuss the story you're about to hear on uh, this episode of The Ready Room. Now, the people that really know the characters are the writers themselves, so if you guys are listening, and I know that a few of you are, I would ask that you um, go ahead and record some commentary of your own about your own characters and how the story is going, and send them in so that we can mix them into The Ready Room. If you haven't noticed, it's a little hard for us to get together to record. As you know, we have our own podcasts, and... Our family lives kind of hinder our ability to get together to record. It would help us immensely if we had some content to add to the ready room. And also, if you're a listener, and I know that there are people out there listening because I've gotten a few emails through the Anomaly podcast letting me know that they enjoy the ready room, and also through Twitter, 
take a few minutes and send us an email. The Ready Room inbox is quite lonely. We haven't gotten any feedback in a long time, so please email us. Let us know that you're listening. Tell us what you like about the show. Maybe you can give us a little commentary on what you think about the characters. Give us a little idea, maybe, for the next season. I know for a fact that that would help the writers and let them know that we're not just writing this for ourselves, because that would be really geeky. But we all know we're geeks, and that's okay. We're cool with that. So, let's see here. I guess I can begin with the story. Commander Oren is a new character that Chris, or Just X on the forums, as he's known as, he created him to, you know, kind of walk around in a Romulan shoes. I would describe him as a little on the James Bond side. He fancies himself a ladies' man. But he hasn't had a chance to make that known in this episode. He's trying to figure out how to best infiltrate the Arabella because he has some vital information to share. So I can guarantee you in the, in the next few episodes he's going to make things interesting. And then there's a little bit of a romantical element. Several of the characters are giving each other googly eyes. Shelby Daylene and Lieutenant Commander DeCollin, for one. And then, of course, uh, Ryla and Catan. <laughs> they hate each other. Uh, Ryla likes to torture him quite a bit. She started referring to him as Lieutenant Commander Kitten because she doesn't like him very much. That's, that's just her way of getting back at him. I've been entertaining the thought of her accidentally calling him that to his face one day. A la Mr. Broccoli. Yeah, that would be fun. And let's see, what else is going on? Yeah, speaking of Catan, there was a very interesting fight scene in his quarters last week. Yeah. Can you imagine a little kid showing up? If you're parents, you probably could imagine. Awkward. This week was pretty short, so there's not a whole lot more I could say. There's a lot more information coming down the pike, so I, I can't really talk a lot about what's going to happen without giving away the story, so I better stop here. Green grass waved gently in the breeze. He breathed in the air. Lavender. Ah, oh, what a beautiful smell. Below him bounced a joey. He bent down and put his hand out, and the small animal sucked up the nuts and berries. Bleep, bleep, bleep. Struth, what the hell? Josie sat up in bed, dazed from his pleasant dream. Looking around his room, he rubbed his eyes and concentrated on the flashing light above his monitor. Rising from his bed, he stretched out. Computer, <sighs> play message. Message is text only. Joseph growled and sat down at desk. Who's it from? The message is from Cardassian Central Command. Reply from message sent by Decanon 20. Computer, display the damn message. Text only, typical. Joseph yawned again and focused his eyes on the text in front of him. His eyes gracefully moved across each line, taking in all the information. He sat back and looked across his room and up at his treasured cookie bar. <laughs> Would you believe it? <laughs> Computer, transfer a message to my personal pad. He stood up and picked his uniform off the chair. He stopped and thought for a moment. Ah, uh, this is downtime, time, family time, <sighs> sleep time. He can wait. 
Placing his uniform carefully back on the chair, he glanced in the mirror and stood back to see that his hair had taken unwarranted vacation skywards. Getting back into bed and trying to flatten his hair, he looked over to his badge. He tapped it. The calendar haze. The get ran is not to leave his temporary home. The quiet voice echoed back an acknowledgement and Joseph put his head back into his pillow. Now then, skipping me old mate, where did you go? Walking into the lift, Shelby turned and crisply spoke, Decade. The hum of the lift relaxed the woman. Although she was still a bit sore from her fight with Nala, the ensign wasn't going to let that stop her. The trip was short, to the woman's disappointment. She knew, though, that there was work to be done, and DeCallan's tempting call had her more than interested in what the chief science officer had found. The doors hissed open, and the dark-haired ensign strode with confidence towards Rem's office. As Lieutenant Commander Zrem completed another data comparison of the files he was reviewing, his Andorian antenna picked up the sounds of steps approaching his office. So he found no need to even look up as he heard the young ensign standing at his door. Please come in and have a seat, Ensign Shelby, he said as he continued reviewing the files that had kept him preoccupied for the past several hours. As he scanned over the latest set of readings, Shelby took a chair near him at the computer station he was working at. I was ordered to report here to assist, Commander, Shelby said in a slightly more formal tone than she had intended. Yes, Ensign. I've been reviewing some of the data files from the Romulan ship, specifically the star charts, and I've discovered some interesting anomalies, the blue-skinned man said in a brisk, slightly tired tone. What sort of anomalies, sir? The ensign said, trying not to sound too eager. There is encoded information from a certain Senator Navash. I require your skill and expertise in refining the data stream. Please tell me what types of data recovery methods you are familiar with, Ensign, Zrem said as he waited for a reply. Hearing this information had the effect of relaxing the officer, and she actually gave him a half-smile. I worked a little file on backup recovery, assorted styles and types of encryption, encoding, decoding... Let me see what you have. Shelby looked over the Andorian shoulder and began to read through what he had discovered. The encryption isn't very sophisticated. Perhaps the files were meant to be found and we just happened to be in the right place and at the right time. I'm trying an isolinear data packet filter now. Please open node 1B Alpha, Ensign Dalen. Moving over to one of the other chairs, the woman sat and used the council to set up the node that Zrem had asked for. Done. There was a pause, and she added, after a bit of thought, I think it is very likely that someone wanted to be able to access this eventually. The ensign continued to scan the information that Zrem was digging out. Can you access that subroutine? Certainly. Computer, grant temporary access to decryption subroutines to ensign Shelby Dalen. Authorization code Zrem 2 Beta Alpha 301, the science officer said. The computer soon replied, and Shelby got to work. Her gray orb studied and processed the information that the sky blue commander pulled up on the screen. Upon her request, hmm, there were several Romulan characters in the files, and then a series of numbers. Crossing her arms along her chest, she sighed. This looks like a bunch of personal files. Can you isolate them? Yes, I'm running the data through the Universal Translator now. I believe we should share this soon with Captain Savril. She wanted to know what we discovered as soon as we had something, Zrem commented. 
After the encrypted information began to stream out of the system, Shelby leaned a bit closer to the screen and started scanning some of the information. Luad? She said in a low voice. There is a lot of that in here. Her gaze turned to the commander. It's a mix of files, some personal, and there is also some very sensitive information about Navash. While scanning the document, Shelby caught sight of a familiar name, Jerak. Stopping the stream, she reversed and located a series of files related to Admiral Jerak. Hmm, interesting. Then she moved onwards, making a mental note of the line index. I think every underhanded, backstabbing, or dirty deed our dear senator has been involved in since joining the Senate, and possibly... She faded a little, even before that is documented in here. Aboard the Satosk, Warren carefully plotted his next course of action. As much as he would like to issue a warning to the Federation fleet, doing so would reveal his position. He needed a second option that would not do that. He racked his mind at the choices, and with the efficiency of a Vulcan, calculated the probability of success. The riskiest of the options also felt like it would be the most exciting. Was there ever really a choice? Ward moved the controls of the vessel. Computer, release controls to manual. Oren's fingers moved over the controls like a musician playing their instrument. He targeted the Federation vessel and increased the speed of his own craft. Within minutes, the cloaked sword of Satosk inched forward above the hull of the intrepid two-class vessel, matching the frequency of its warp field to allow the smaller ship entry with only the slightest of disruptions to the larger's warp field integrity. Extend magnetic clamps, Oren said as he moved his smaller ship closer to the hull of the larger one, settling on the area of the vessel just behind the bridge. Magnetic clamps extended, replied the ship's computer. Oren focused his thoughts and lowered the craft to the surface of the still at warp vessel. Meters reduced to centimeters until there was only the smallest gap between them. Engage magnetic clamps, Oren ordered and allowed the ship to cling lamprey-like to the more massive ship. As a credit to his training, there was only the slightest of bumps on the completed landing. Status of Cloak? Oren asked. Cloak is functioning at 100%, the smoky voice replied. Oren rose from the console and stretched. Now for the next phase of his mission. Should he attempt communication with the vessel or transport to it, both would have their dangers, and both would have their own unique rewards. Indeed. They can be quite painful, said Ryla in a clinical tone, though inwardly she was grimacing, embarrassed for Olsen. Sira merely nodded at the comment, no longer trusting what words might come out of her mouth, lest she insult Jared. Feeling a little more comfortable, now that he had half his Cosmo downed, the Terran continued, Oh yes, ingrown toenails are very painful but the treatments these days are far less archaic than they were a few centuries ago. In nearly all cases, drainage of blood or watery discharge... So anyway, Ryla briskly interrupted. While friendly and very easy on the eyes, Jared Olsen was definitely not her type, and their first, and consequently their last date, had certainly cleared any doubts she had regarding this fact. It seemed she had a talent for finding men who were not a good match. Intent on changing the subject, she moved on. I'm going to be assisting Mr. Kitten with the boy he's now caring for. Jared released an awkward laugh. Several patrons turned their attention towards the sound of the horribly loud, wheezing cackle that conquered the din of the afterburner. 
It was now obvious that Jared's lack of social skills were not simply a result of his shy nature. The trill turned her head towards Galdar and mouthed the words, Help me! Putting down his drink carefully, Galdar looked at Ryla, drawing out the silence as long as he dared. As the desperation built in her eyes, he felt a corresponding twinkle grow in his own. Finally giving in, he glanced down at his baggy blue trousers, then back at the doctor. So, what's the child's story? Were his parents not rescued and brought aboard also? He asked. The doctor shook her head, her newly regained smile slipping slightly. Not that we know of, no. He's not saying much at the moment, but he seems to be alone. Yaldar shook his head and snagged his drink once again, a sudden somber feeling now replacing the normally cheerful mood of the lounge. As he drained the contents of his glass, the Ferengi struggled to think of something more cheerful to discuss, a story to tell, or a tale to recount. Finding Ryla with someone who seemed to take an interest in her, he didn't want to let the occasion fall flat. Have you seen Danny recently? he asked, the twinkle back in his eye. Who's Danny? Jared inquired as he motioned to Sira for another Cosmo. Lieutenant Commander Young is the chief medical officer aboard the Boris Yegorov, said Ryla. I think you may be disappointed to know, Galdar, that all of his hair has grown back. She once had a relationship with Danny. During her academy days, the young Trill had a penchant for muscles. At the time, Danny's muscles enabled her to overlook the fact that, in addition to training his physique, he also worked hard to shape his moral fiber into that of an arrogant jerk. After a while, it became clear to Ryla that Danny Young loved himself more than her. Sira raised her hand to catch their attention. Excuse me? Danny? Hair loss? What? She asked. He was my boyfriend. I broke up with him because he was an ass. She took another sip of her drink, swirled the ice in her glass again, and glanced to the Ferengi. I'll let you fill her in on Operation Sonic Strike. Galdar waggled his empty glass at Sira and looked thoughtful for a moment. Oh, where to begin, he muttered theatrically. Sonic Strike was an extracurricular away mission that we undertook at the Academy. Ryla was the assigned physician, and I was the security detail. He tapped his left lobe meaningfully and grinned again. It was an infiltration and extraction job at a secure facility. He trailed off and sighed when he noticed the look in the CMO's eyes. Okay, okay. Sonic Strike was a cadet prank that Lieutenant Commander Young well and truly deserved for a moment of crass behavior. Ryla nodded in agreement as he continued. We crept into his quarters one evening and reprogrammed his sonic shower. And for a brief period, it became the biggest sonic shaver on the planet. Nodding his thanks to Sira, he took his refilled glass and swallowed a couple of mouthfuls of the beverage. Further down the bar, noise levels briefly rose among the small group of Romulans before subsiding to previous levels. A number of ostensibly off-duty security officers twitched at their tables in response. We got in and out without trouble, and everything seemed to go as intended. You should have seen him the following morning, the Ferengi continued. He was not a happy human, and for some reason, he didn't seem quite as confident as before. Closing his eyes briefly, he pictured the cadet as he appeared that day. There was an immediate investigation, of course, but I'm not sure how vigorously it was pursued. 
If Kate hadn't eventually come out of hiding and shown herself in public the following day, I think the whole thing would have been dropped. But as Rule 19 clearly states, satisfaction is not guaranteed. Taking up his drink again, he nodded at Ryla, who simply smiled at him. Jared looked confused. Who, who's K Kate? Looking slightly mournful, Galdar stared through the window, lost in the pattern of elongated stars rushing away behind the ship. Kate was... He took another sip of his Starduster. Kate was what you could describe as collateral damage. Or a target of opportunity, depending on your point of view. The shower was configured to effectively remove all body hair from anyone using it for a period of 12 hours. Shower in that unit before bed, and you'd wake up bald the next morning, sleeping on a lovely downy mattress. Danny used the shower as intended, but so did Kate. If the Ferengi had eyebrows, Galder may have waggled them suggestively at this point. It was something he had once seen on an old Earth vid, and had always been something he wanted to try. For some reason, a bald woman is seen as a bigger victim than a bald man, and so deserving of a better investigation and more severe punishment. Ryla smirked. <sighs> Served her right, that backstabbing. Her tone suddenly shifted from one of distaste to a more typically pleasant sound. You know they're married now? Kate is the Alpha Shift helmsman aboard the Yuggeroff. Lieutenant Olsen laughed as if her statement of fact had been the punchline of a joke. <laughs> Jared's snorts continued for a few more seconds before he managed to get his distracting laughter under control. You all right there? Sira asked as she patted him on the back. Good career choice, nodded Galdar, catching Ryla's eye. And I'm sure she's a very safe option for a medical ship. Cyril pulled a blanket over Marin and methodically tucked it around the girl. They had just completed their third chapter of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and the children had drawn remarkable similarities between Huck and the counselor's son, Brex. To their delight, the comparisons were numerous. The Vulcan woman seated herself on the edge of Marin's bed, patiently listening and engaging the children in their rambling dialogue. She relished the time she spent with them, and often allowed their conversations to stretch until one or more had fallen asleep, sometimes mid-sentence. As it had on many occasions, the topic naturally shifted to the lack of children aboard the ship. Are there any Romulan boys and girls to play with? Naval asked. There are, said Savril, turning to look at the boy resting in his bed beside Marin's. His rumpled hair covered the tips of his pointed ears. Perhaps I will take you to meet them when they have settled in. Are they our age? asked Marin as she played with the tattered nose of her stuffed bear. I am certain of it replied her mother, the smile in her voice never reaching the surface to touch her face. Do they like dogs? Her son was trying to get comfortable, kicking the sheets his mother had pulled tightly around him. You may ask them yourself when you meet them. Do they know what dogs are? Marin interjected. It is likely they do not, Savril patiently replied. Naval brought his eyes, much like his father's, from his sibling's face to his mother. Will they want to be friends with us? He and his sister could sense the sudden mood change on the ship with the new arrivals. Arya did her best as the eldest to shelter them from the confusing emotions, but she could not provide the answers to their questions. Even before their first question was answered, he had a second. Why is everyone so worried? Savril carefully considered a response that would suit a child his age. The twins were quiet as they waited for her to reply. 
fidgeting amongst their bed linens and watching her intently. There was a time when the Romulans were not our friends, she began slowly. Their ideals were contrary to our own, and we often disagreed with one another. But they require our help, and we have put aside our differences in order to provide the assistance they need. It is sometimes difficult for adults to forget that they have disliked one another, and it may take time for them to move beyond their uneasiness. She studied their faces for some sign of understanding. I am uncertain whether they will accept your offer of friendship, Naval, but I believe the attempt is worth the effort. You will not know until you try. The questions continued until all inquiries were satisfied, and no more could be made without the interruptions of yawns. Savril remained in their room, watching them for some time as they slept. What they learned during their mission would shape their lives, hopefully for the good. Maintaining silence for the sake of the sleeping children, Eric leaned in the doorway watching. His thoughts reached out to his wife. It's moments like these that remind me why we do this. They deserve a peaceful universe. The flicker of a meditation lamp bathed the room in a warm light. Jesper-scented incense filled the area with a sweet overtone meant to enhance the Vulcan's nightly ritual. Savril sat with her legs crossed before a lamp at the foot of a large bed. Her hands were clasped, thumbs pointing towards her chest, index fingers together, and directed upward. Her dark eyes were focused on the flame before her, a chaotic, destructive force which served as a metaphor for emotional control. The ancient mental process was a part of Surak's doctrine of logic and enabled the captain to manage her tumultuous emotions. Bare-chested, Eric reclined in the bed behind her, turning the gilded pages of a leather-bound tome. Before them, starlight stretched past the sleek bow of the Arabella and the space beyond. The generous vista of the viewport afforded them a luxury that many aboard would never share. It was one of the perks that truly lessened the burden of command. The room was a place where relaxing came easily. Most nights. Several arched a brow as a deep chuckle escaped Eric's lips, briefly disturbing the silence of the room. It had been a long day, and he felt a little off from his time aboard the Romulan vessel, denying the sleep he desperately needed. His irises were still the soft green he had acquired while aboard the Romulan transport, and their color had yet to return to their usual prismatic tint. They were eyes that he had inherited from his father and passed to Marin and Naval, the only true legacy of his nascent father's metamorphic abilities. His wife <laughs> shifted as he chuckled again. Sorry, he whispered. While reading in bed was his second favorite means of winding down, meditation was Savril's, and he hated interrupting her. Eric glanced at the book-filled shelves before allowing his eyes to settle on his wife's back. Maybe I should have picked something less comedic. The Vulcan did not move a muscle, lest she lose the progress made thus far. Perhaps. Servil paused a moment before continuing. I have offered to teach you to meditate, but you have always declined. If nothing else, it will help you to relax. Eric smiled to his wife. I might have to take you up on that soon. Just can't shake the feeling that something's off. What do you sense? she asked. Abandoning her meditation, she extinguished the lamp with a quick breath and moved to the bed. Something Romulan is. He started to reply before being cut off by an alarm klaxon and the voice of the ship's computer. Warning. 
Unauthorized transport detected. Deck 1, briefing room. Joseph DeCallan awoke to the sound of the alert. He jumped up and grabbed his nightclothes, picking up his pad and looking again at the message that came through several hours earlier from Cardassian command. He shook his head slightly. Grabbing his com badge, belt, phaser and pulling on his clothes, he ran out of his quarters and headed to the turbo lift. Clipping his badge onto his shirt, he tapped it quickly. The counter dial in and shy, meet me outside the briefing room, light up intruder alert. The counter Captain Seville. The captain spoke into the intercom as she donned a rope. Seville here. Security alert, ma'am. Unauthorised transport has been detected in the briefing room. I suggest a force field lockdown on all access points to the briefing room. Seville suppressed the desire to sigh in frustration. Had one of the evacuees somehow slipped into the room? Had she given them too much freedom? No one but the crew should have access to the briefing room. What significance did the observation lounge hold? Of all the places aboard Arabella to breach, that room would be the last place she expected an intruder to seek. Agreed. The commander and I are on our way. Eric quickly pulled on a black undershirt from the side of the bed. Computer, activate Rory and inform her of the current situation. He pushed himself over the top of the bed and quickly slid to the other side. Touching his hand to the biometric safe, it opened and allowed him to retrieve his weapon and holster. Joseph skidded in front of the turbo lift door and impatiently waited for it to arrive. The door opened to reveal Commander James and Captain Seville still wearing their sleepwear. The Chief of Security entered and turned to face the door. As it started to descend, he glanced at Eric and suddenly remembered the pad in his hand. Ah, oh, look at this. It came early this morning. A text only. No surprise there. Eric studied it and he looked up. You're kidding me, right? Joseph shook his head. Nah, he's not a legate. The Carlin leaned over and pointed to the bottom of the screen. Eric and Seville read the detail. The security officer highlighted. The captain arched a brow. He's a barber? Commander James handed the pad back to the Callan. It says he was banished from Cardassia. I wonder why. Joseph released a deep sigh as he took his phaser out of his belt and checked the setting. Can't be much call for new hairstyles in Cardassia. He sniggered as the doors opened and the three officers strode towards the briefing room. As they rounded the bend in the corridor, they encountered Shelby, Darius and two other armed security officers. The pad in Shelby's hand included all the information from the files that Drem had discovered. There was still a lot to decode, but the ensign was more than patient enough for the task. The lift stopped, and as the doors parted, she nearly ran into a Romulan woman. Excuse me, I'm sorry, she offered honestly. The woman at first seemed willing to accept the apology when she gazed at the half Romulan ensign. A cooling occurred, and the dark-haired refugee entered the lift and ordered it to another deck quickly. As the door hissed shut, Shelby shrugged it off. Taking the few turns on deck three, Dalen arrived at Nala's doorway shortly afterwards. Seeing done, she tucked the pad behind her back and she approached her colleague. Lieutenant, she said with a nod. I expect that all went well. Quiet as a sleeping triple, Dunn replied to the ensign with a smile. Surprising, considering the circumstances under which she was brought over here. I understand you acquitted yourself very well indeed. He had heard about Nala's apprehension from the away team security officers and was impressed. Who is our little troublemaker, he said, glancing towards the closed door. Nala Jarak, and she isn't a troublemaker. She's just misguided, Shelby said with an even gaze. The name didn't seem to have any meaning for Dunn. Well, regardless, she seems to have settled down. It's a shame we have to keep her isolated from the rest of her kind, Dunn said, and then realized his comment might seem offensive to Shelby as she was, after all, half Romulan. He quickly changed tact. Maybe the captain will see clear to let her out. 
She can wander as she pleases. She simply must be accompanied by security to ensure her safety and others. Seeing that there was some discomfort on the lieutenant's part, Shelby gave a half-smile. It's been a while since we talked. Small talk was never a strong point for the woman, but she was going to give it a try. How have you been, Chris? Very well, he responded, the awkward moment having passed. The chief has been keeping us busy, and he speaks very highly of you. Hearing this remark, the woman's brow lifted. He does. Do tell. Her tone was laced with a piqued interest, which she realized upon saying the words might be seen as borderline inappropriate. Well, yes, he... For some unknown reason, Dunn had the impression they were talking about two different things for a brief moment. He says you not only have top-notch combat skills, but are a whiz with computers, a skill I am lacking somewhat. Oh, her eyes changed, became more guarded. That was all she needed, people on the ship gossiping about an unfounded interest in the chief. There was nothing between them, and why would there be? She had toyed with him, but he did the same in return, on purpose, she suspected. She only knew... Did it keep to keep in practice nothing more? Inwardly scoffing as her thoughts traversed off the main path, the half-Roman brought herself back to the here and now. While Dunn was staring at her a bit closer, Are you going to the afterburner later? She said to deflect the tone of the conversation. I know things are tense around here, but I hear some of the regulars are headed there. Oh, no, you don't. You're not getting off that easy, smirked Dunn. He had a missed the chief and the woman horribly taunting each other from time to time. Just then, the alert klaxon wailed. Both security officers looked at each other in surprise. DeCallan's voice came from Shelby's comm badge. DeCallan to Dalen and Shane, meet me outside the briefing room. Load up, intruder alert. Shelby sprinted towards the lift. Catan always found the quiet murmur of the crowded afterburner to be soothing. The casual, relaxed conversations and occasional muted laughter were like a poultice leeching away the day's stress. As Terra chatted on about something involving the ship's Parisi Square tournament, the former tactical officer casually glanced around the room. You could take the man out of the job, but you couldn't take the job out of the man. Although security and tactical were no longer his area of responsibility, Catan couldn't get out of the habit of maintaining an awareness of what was going on around him. At a distant table, he noticed Dr. Dret chatting with a crewman whose name he couldn't recall. Catan grimaced as Ryla's companion emitted a laugh that sounded like someone walking on a sack full of kittens. Oh, what does she see in him? He wondered absently. Are you even listening to me? Tara said. Of course, Catan lied. Based on many, many past conversations on the topic, he took a gamble at his next statement. You were saying that the folks here can't hold a candle to real Parisi Square players. Catan laid a large, calloused hand over hers and gazed into her eyes with what he hoped was a charming smile. Don't worry, Ter. I know you'll get them whipped into shape eventually. Stas placed her free hand atop Catan's and returned both his gaze and his smile. Do you think you're fooling anyone, Romeo? You can't play a player. I know that was just a lucky guess. Fortunately for you, you have other qualities that make up for it. She gave him a wink. Just don't let it go to your head. The moment was broken by a chime of Catan's comm badge. One moment, he said, tapping the device. Catan here, go ahead. The familiar voice answered. This is Lieutenant Otak. Sorry to disturb you, Commander, but while running a diagnostic, I detected a glitch in our shields. For just a fraction of a second, they seemed to be drawing more power than usual. I thought it was just a micrometeor or a dust particle at first. 
The weird thing is, Tactical has detected no signs of an impact to account for the increase. Now I'm wondering if there might be an issue with the power regulating systems. That's odd, Catan said. It's probably nothing. But backtrack to see if there have been any other spikes like this. I want to know if there's a pattern. Best uh, best to head off any system irregularities before they get a chance to turn out into an emergency situation. Catan grinned. Like the Klingon saying goes, forewarned is forearmed. Keep him posted. After hearing his subordinates' acknowledgement, Catan closed the channel. He turned to his companions and a smile bloomed on his face. Stas and the Romulan child, both reaching for the last remaining piece of Katachi, were now engaged in a playful tug-of-war. After a brief struggle, the child wrested the stiff Klingon confection from Tara's hand and giggled with glee. All right, all right, you win this round, squirt, Stas chuckled. She reached over and ruffled the child's hair. Surprisingly, he didn't flinch from the contact. He may not speak much, but at least he's opening up, Catan thought. Definitely a good sign. The sudden piercing blare of the alarm klaxon instantly silenced the room. Two more pulses, and the siren ceased. Seconds later, the afterburner's background noise returned, only now tinged by a sense of foreboding. As most patrons tried to carry on with their meals, scattered officers and noncoms calmly but quickly headed for their duty stations. As Catan stood, he felt Stas's hand on his arm. We're off duty, she said. Sit back down. Catan stared at her, incredulous. Are you joking? I'm part of the command staff. His eyes flicked from Tara to the child. She nodded in acknowledgement of his unspoken plea. Don't worry. I'll keep an eye on the squirt, she said. But sometime soon, you and I are going to have to discuss your priorities. Of course, he replied as he headed for the exit. But right now, the captain might need me. As Catan vanished into the corridor, Stas silently shook her head. She's not the only one. Captain Severe walked towards the briefing room door and listened. She cocked her head slightly and then stood away in the corridor next to Commander James. She nodded to the Callan. Joseph waved Shelby and Darius to be by his side. He looked at the other two officers who moved in front of the captain and the XO, phasers unholstered. Nodding to his two main officers, he took a breath. Computer, disengage the force field around the breathing room door. Keep subsequent fields in place. A quick blue blast of light shot around the door, and Joseph looked round to Seville for her order. As the turbo lift doors closed, Catan called out, Bridge, then tapped his comm badge. Catan to attack, report. Yes, sir. Unauthorized transporter activity triggered the alarm. Someone or something has beamed into the briefing room. Lieutenant Commander DeCallan has sealed the area off, and security is on the scene as we speak. Catan nodded silently. As always, his friend Joseph had reacted quickly and with impeccable judgment. Well done, he thought. I couldn't have handled it better myself. A thought occurred to him. Did the transport originate within the Arabella? According to transmitter logs, negative, sir. The pieces were starting to fall into place, and Catan didn't like the picture that was forming. The shield glitch you detected earlier? Funny you should mention that, sir. Our warp field experienced a slight hiccup at the exact same time. The variants fell into the acceptable range, but the occurrences of the two glitches at the exact same moment... Way ahead of you, Lieutenant. It looks like we've got a hitchhiker. Scan the hole for any magnetic anomalies. I'll be there shortly. The lift began to slow as it neared Deck 1. 
Catan reactivate his comm badge. Catan to Commander James. I know it may sound strange, sir, but I think the Arabella's picked up a lamprey. Catan's hand rested on his holstered phaser, and his expression fell into the old, comfortable scowl as he thought, how the heck did a ship slip through our shields while we're at warp? I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of The Ready Room. I apologize for the lateness. If you have any feedback or commentary to send us, you can send it to thereadyroompodcast at gmail.com. That's thereadyroompodcast at gmail.com. That wraps up this late edition of The Ready Room Podcast. I'm Jen Flying Solo, and uh, what else can I say? Hailing frequencies closed. RPG music was composed by Rick Moyer. All other music was obtained through the Podsafe Music Network. Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at treksandsci-fi.com. Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my brand new podcast. It's called Take Him With You. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television, music, and in my faith. My hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing, for that at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit. So come check it out. www.takehimwithyou.com The weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. I'd love to have you listen. Thanks. He likes you at all. <laughs> no, I don't like you either. <laughs> I love that. That is so great. That's good writing. Yes. Because it's not much dialogue. And because <clears throat> George Lucas didn't write all the <coughs> dialogue. <laughs> I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast... We would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. <laughs> Hello there. I'd be honored if you could take a few minutes to check out my little show, Happy Times. 
If you own an iPod Touch or an iPhone, if you love applications but are feeling the pinch of the current economic climate, then this is the podcast for you. Each week I'll review a free or cheap application and spend a few minutes gassing on about why I like it. Or not. Buying apps over the air can be both addictive and expensive, so why not spend a few minutes a week listening to Appy Times and I'll try to separate the wheat from the chaff. Just go to appytimes.podbean.com or search the iTunes store for Appy Times. That's A-P-P-Y-T-I-M-E-S. Come and share the Appy Times with me. Hello there, my name is Meds. And this is David Frost. You're not David Frost. All right, I mean, this is Mark. And we are the... Mark... Oh, let's get on with it. Okay. And we're the presenters of Waffle on Podcast. And we like to talk about... Crap. TV broadcast between 1960 to 1999. Would you say it's crap? Some of it. Really? <laughs> Especially the British stuff. But we were having a podcast about that, so let's move up on that. Unbelievable. You can find us at the HTTP colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com. Do not smile when I say the word colon. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. After listening to this great podcast, why don't you turn into our podcast? Knights of the Guild. The official fan podcast for the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2. As well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.com. Zaboo! Zaboo!